if we go down this path, Watson will lose. The question is, can they get him to play right away so there's some kind of temporary ability to play football? Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to another edition of The Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. I'm your host, Andrew Brandt. The music you hear is from my son, Sam Brandt. We're produced by Brian Neal, and we are always presented by DraftKings. Hope you guys are well out there as we hit the dog days of August in the summer. Rants for you tonight, today, whenever you're listening. Yeah, a little bit of Deshaun Watson, but we don't have any news. Just want to update you on that. I want to talk about some other player contract issues in the NFL. Talk a little golf. That major, major fight going on with these two tours and a little bit of an ode to one and only Serena Williams. So we'll get to our rants. First, there's no news on Deshaun Watson. As I record this on Tuesday evening, August 9th, there's no news on his appeal, or I shall say the NFL's appeal. But since we spoke last, yes, the NFL has named Peter Harvey, former New Jersey Attorney General, as the hearing appeal officer, there is no hearing. I think he's just going to read the briefs. The briefs are in from the NFL and from the NFLPA. Roger Goodell just answered questions in a press conference in Minneapolis where they approved the sale of the Denver Broncos to the uh, Walmart family again. And the Walmart family now owning two of the top three uh, franchises in terms of owner value in the NFL, the Rams and the Broncos. Rob Walton of the Walmart family, now the new owner, as of right now. But in that meeting, he was asked about Deshaun Watson, and the words he used were really, it looks as if a lawyer had answered his question for him. He talked about the process that the NFL PA could have appealed. They did not. We could have appealed. They did. And that's the process. Then he mentioned all the things I've talked about here on this podcast, which are Judge Robinson found the conduct violative of personal conduct policy, uh, found it egregious, found it predatory, used the word sexual assault. So those findings, Roger Goodell would think, and his hearing uh, appeal officer would think, yes, that's going to mean a bigger penalty. I think we expect that within a couple of days. Here's the question I'm getting from a lot of people, and I don't want to get legalese because We don't even know if this is going to be a possibility, but could, assuming the NFLPA disagrees with a suspension that could be 10 games, 12 games, 14 games, a full year, and I know they're going to get a fine, obviously, and there's going to be counseling part of that. I can guarantee you that. Can they go to court and can they get a preliminary injunction where he could play week one? Okay, let's first start at the end of this process if they go to court. And that's three words for you. They will lose. Okay, so somewhere down the road, if this goes to court, the player, Watson, will lose. There is too much precedent from Adrian Peterson, from Tom Brady, and from Ezekiel Elliott. All appeals courts in the court system, one rung below the Supreme Court of the United States, basically saying... We defer to the private arbitration process in the collective bargaining agreement of this private entity, the NFL, and we are not going to interfere. They said that in so many words with Peterson, with Elliott, and of course with Brady. So if we go down this path, Watson will lose. The question can is, can they get him to play right away so there's some kind of temporary ability to play football even though down the road, the appeal will, I'm sorry, the 
discipline will happen because the case will be won by the NFL. Well, the way I see it is no. A preliminary injunction would only affect the penalty beyond six games, meaning that he's going to be suspended six games, and in the interim, we'll figure out if he can play week seven while the rest of it is litigated. I don't know about that. My sense is there is going to have to be some serious discussion among Watson's team in the NFLPA if they want to take this to court. If they do, they're spending more and more of players' money because Jeffrey Kessler is not cheap. The union lawyer probably has a wing on his house devoted to the NFLPA. He's going to buy another plane based on this case. Uh, Yeah, they can do that, and they can tie this up in court, even though it's a privately arbitrated system. The NFLPA agreed the NFL can appeal to itself. Roger Goodell didn't even name himself, although we expect Peter Harvey will rule in favor of the NFL wanting almost a year, if not a year, plus a fine, plus counseling. So the NFLPA is going to try to go to court, if they do, once again, to try to get through litigation, something it can't get through negotiation. Good luck with that. We'll see. I am continuing to be struck as I have since March. I say it again, and I'm a broken record. I realize that of all the people in NFL history, including Tom Brady, including Aaron Rodgers, including Pat Mahomes, Josh Allen, name your quarterback or best player in the league. It is this guy, this guy that gets the best contract in the history of the sport. And it's not even close. Remember, he was not going to Cleveland and all of a sudden he was. It was obviously where he had the agent write the contract that got him to Cleveland. And you wonder the Saints and Falcons, the two teams that were rumored to be the top two choices of Watson, what is it that got them to cry uncle? What about the contract got the Saints and Falcons to cry uncle and say, we can't do this? Is it the $46 million a year? Is it the five-year full guarantee? Is it the lack of suspension forfeiture language in the bonus $45 million protected by the Browns from him losing any of it? The most he'll lose this year is a million dollars, even if he's suspended for the season. Is it that? We don't know. Maybe one way, one day we'll find out. The Falcons dropped out because of X. The Saints dropped out because of Y. But where we are now is he's a Brown. If you're a Browns fan, I know people come at me and say, well, they structure all their contracts this way. Well, notwithstanding why it's stupid for them to do that, because they have all this cap room now, why not take the hit now and make it more flexible in the future to run your team? But they didn't put that language in for these other players. They didn't put it in for Nyoku. They didn't put it in for Denzel Ward. They didn't put it in for Miles Garrett. They didn't put it in for Amari Cooper. And what do I mean by that language? Language that protects the bonus from forfeiture due to suspension. Language that protects the team from taking away money in the bonus because he got suspended. They did that for Watson. None of these other players were facing suspension, and they didn't even do it for him. They did it for Watson. Okay, we can leave Watson. We'll have more on him when we get the decision from the appeal officer and then whether the union tries to take it even further on an ultimate losing cause, spending players' money on something they couldn't get in collective bargaining that they'll try to get through litigation once again. But we move on. (laughs) And the other thing we move on to is we go from the Browns staying in the Midwest to in a cold city to the Chicago Bears. 
news comes out this morning that Roquan Smith, their premier linebacker, one of their few blue chip players, may be the best player on their team. He is in the camp as a hold in, which I'll talk more about in a minute. And he says he wants out. He wants out. And it's all contract related as everything is. Okay, so let's first talk about the hold in strategy. The hold in strategy is the complete uh, embodiment of the Marshawn Lynch quote. I'm just here so don't get fined. Players report. Players get to their camp so they're not fined. They don't have penalties for not showing up to camp, which are egregious based on the new CBA. And they don't get fined. Now, what do they do when in camp? Well, they sit around until they get their new contract. It is a strategy that I first remember starting a few years ago with Jalen Ramsey and the Jacksonville Jaguars. He got out, got to a better situation, got a huge contract. T.J. Watt last year, he didn't get out, but he sat in, hold in through camp, came out with the best contract in history of defensive players until this year was passed by Aaron Donald. This year, three receivers did this strategy of holding in and got paid. D.K. Metcalf, Dante Johnson, and Debo Samuel. All, all Ds, by the way. Deontay, Debo, and D.K. all got new contracts. So there we are. The hold-in strategy seems to be working. It looks like Derwin James with the Chargers is going through that strategy, too. I expect him to get paid. Well, it was going in Chicago where they were negotiating with Roquan, but evidently those negotiations were fruitless and the agent is the player. So Roquan Smith tweets out this morning that he wants out. He wants to be traded. And the direct reason why he wants to be traded is, guess what? The Bears didn't treat him fairly. They're not negotiating at the level he feels is right as being his own agent, directly negotiating. And anything that comes out about the numbers with the Bears, which of course they would spend, he's already preemptively struck against them saying, the contract's heavily backloaded. So if it says whatever, 15 million a year, don't believe it because it's heavily backloaded. And he says it's got de-escalators. What are de-escalators? De-escalators are if you do not reach a certain level of performance or you do not play a certain percentage due to injury prior to that, your contract goes down in the future. So if you miss a bunch of games, you don't hit a play time in year three, year four, say you're going to make 10 million. Now you make 7 million or whatever it may be. Roquan's pissed. And as a former agent and a former team executive, I get it, especially when you're dealing with the player directly. That's a tough, delicate situation. Negotiations are raw. They're emotional. And he lashed out this morning. We have a response from Ryan Poles, the GM of the Bears, basically saying, yeah, we're going to try to keep going. We want him on our team. We're doing the best. We want him. We'll see. Stay tuned. But they have, for lack of a better phrase, pissed off their best defensive player, they're probably beyond Justin Fields, their most important player, and he wants out. doesn't seem like they're going to be in a market to trade him. You don't trade away one of your top two players if you're a team that's still figuring it out like the Bears, but we'll see. But they're going to have to adjust that contract to, in his eyes, and then in our eyes, now that we are looking for it, not make it so backloaded, not have a contract like this, and the Chicago Bears are in the news for the wrong reasons. They're not supposed to be a very good team. Justin Fields is trying to get his feet wet, and they've got this issue with their best player.
We'll see if it gets figured out. We'll follow it, continue to track it as we go. Okay. The one other football note before we move to other topics is Paycor Stadium. That's right. Paul Brown Stadium, named after the venerable owner of the Cincinnati Bengals, that one of the pioneers of football, speaking of the Bears, along with George Hallis, one of the people that started this game and pushed it into the modern era where it's now become this monolith, this behemoth, in NFL, in sports in general. Paul Brown Stadium is no longer. The Cincinnati Bengals have made a deal, a naming rights sponsor for a stadium that used to be Paul Brown Stadium and is now is Paycor. Paycor is a human uh, capital software firm, whatever that means. Probably HR and dealing with payroll, that makes sense, Paycor, and dealing with all the mechanics, the back-end system of payroll. Now, we haven't heard the exact number that they're going to pay. There's a vague number put out by Sportico, basically 8 to $12 million a year. That would make sense. There's a direct marketplace fresh data point in Pittsburgh right down the road that just happened. So we have what was Heinz Field in Pittsburgh as of three weeks ago has become Acrisure Field in Pittsburgh and the report on that was $10 million a year, which would make it likely that the pay core number is around that. We, we hear 8 to $12 million. Maybe it starts at 8 and it ends at 12 so it averages $10 million a year. $10 million a year seems to be the going rate for NFL naming rights stadium. We know SoFi in L.A. is $20 million a year, but there are two teams, the Chargers and the Rams, of course, and it's L.A., so $10 million a year, we now have it. And that is Paycor Stadium in Cincinnati. Now, as I tweeted this morning, they're going to need a naming rights sponsor for Joe Burrow's contract next year. They're obviously going to have to look at the Watson deal. They're going to have to figure out how to put $170, $180 million in escrow. Paycor can help a little bit with that, but they're going to need a lot more. And as I say it, I'm like, why not? You know, why not have a naming rights sponsor for a deal? What if you had a company that said, you know, when you do the Burrow deal, we'll pay you to put our name on it. I wonder if you can do that. I thought it's a neat idea. Those of you listening to it in the NFL, and I know I have some listeners there, maybe allow that, you know, allow that revenue opportunity. Allow the Bengals to seek out a naming rights sponsor for the Burrow contract. Allow the Chargers to seek out a naming rights sponsor for the Herbert contract. Ravens, allow a sponsor to be the naming rights sponsor for the Lamar Jackson contract. Makes some sense. Helps the team. Is it a cap violation? I don't know. They're getting a sponsor, right? They get sponsors for everything in sports. They're sponsoring everything. They get training camp patches on the jerseys. They opened up the uh, alcohol category. They opened up the wine category. And most notably, opened up the casino and sports betting category. Just a thought. Okay. So, Paycor Stadium. Uh now we have two stadiums without naming rights. One is Soldier Field. We keep bringing up the Bears. The other is the one I know so well. If you're watching, you see my helmet back there. The Green Bay Packers, Lambeau Field. When we did it, we didn't do a naming rights sponsor. We had four gate sponsors, including Verizon, the Oneida Nation Casino. That's what we have gate sponsors. We had, and still they do have. Now, I told this story. When I was with the Packers, I'd make some presentations. I'd talk about people coming to us all the time about naming rights sponsorship of Lambeau Field, where it could be 
pick a name, Pepsi Stadium at Lambeau Field or, you know, Verizon Stadium at Lambeau Field. Not going to fly. In fact, I remember vividly giving a presentation to our board. We met every quarter of their board of directors. And I just sort of off the cuff said, yeah, we have people come to us about naming rights for Lambeau Field. And a gentleman up front raised his hand right away, one of our board members. It wasn't Bud Selig, who was commissioner of baseball at the time. He was on our board, but he wasn't one of those. And he says to me, sir, just letting you know, if you make a deal like that for naming rights of Lambeau Field, we will have to put you in witness protection. Some people laugh. Some people didn't. I didn't know whether to laugh or not laugh. But it just shows you the importance of that community of having the old traditional Lambeau Field. Obviously, the Packers make money that other teams don't in other ways, including the now famous stock sale where people get their parchment uh, for $300 to put on their wall with no dividend value and no transferability. Okay, that is what's going on in the NFL. Deshaun Watson, Roquan Smith, Paycor Stadium, and naming rights. I want to bring you a word from Harry's. I use Harry's. They're my only razor. They're smooth, they're comfortable, and they give out these starter packs that just do everything for you. I'm cooked on Harry's, if you will. Uh, you got a lot coming up. It's fall season. You're going to have school. Get your kids ready. This is a high-quality shave. It's convenient. It's flexible. It's easy to get refills. And you can get the starter set for just $3. You get a free travel size body wash. It's a five-blade razor, a weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and travel cover. This is a $16 value for just $3. $3. When you go to harrys.com slash BOS, that's business of sports. So pleased to have them as a sponsor. It's everything you need for a great shave to get this $16 value for $3. They make the blades in a factory in Germany. The guys say it's as sharp as ever. I mean, I, I don't even notice when it's my six shave, eight shave, 10 shave versus my first. It's a sleek ergonomic set. The $3 gives you the refill blades. Anyway, as I'm saying, everybody talks about the customer satisfaction. They're still offering a no risk trial. If you don't like the shave, no worries. Just send it back. So no matter how busy things get, stay fresh with Harry's. Get your Harry's starter set today. You'll also get a free travel size body wash. Just go to harrys.com slash BOS, all caps. That's harrys.com slash BOS for business of sports. Back to the program, I want to talk about golf. As we speak tonight, there's a hearing about the Live Golf Tour versus the PGA Golf Tour. We'll get to the bigger suit in a minute. Right now, they're talking about TRO, a temporary restraining order that would allow banned live golfers, banned from the PGA Tour, to play in the FedEx Cup, Taylor Gooch and a couple other names, who are banned because they banned live golfers from playing in PGA events. So a hearing's going on about that immediacy, that immediate issue that's going on between the live tour and the PGA Tour. What is more basic and is going to be a topic in my sports law class this fall is we got a lawsuit now it is a full-blown antitrust lawsuit by the live tour against the pga tour and we saw this coming we saw it coming where the pga tour banned live golfers from playing in pga events now 
Had they banned other golfers from playing in events that were not PGA Tour events? Probably not. That's going to be an issue in the case. There's also allegations that they really tried to influence agents from having their players go to live. They influence sponsors and don't go to live. Influence their TV partners. Don't you dare televise live. All these things. And we're going to have a full-blown antitrust case that seemed inevitable when the PGA Tour chose the direction of fighting live rather than working through live or working with live. Now, listen, live doesn't have a TV partner. Live may be a fad that doesn't doesn't catch on, but the problem for the PGA, and it's just one that no other sports league has had to face, this competitor has, and I say this conservatively, unlimited resources. We can all debate about the source of the Saudi public investment fund, but that in fund is worth $630 billion. That is the definition of unlimited resources. And just today, Cameron Smith, the great golfer who just won the big major, $100 million. $100 million. Who knows if that's for two years, three years, but it's life-changing. It's generational wealth, and you'll never have to worry about it again. Now, we can have all kinds of discussions about whether this is good or bad for sports, but it's a thing and it's an existential threat to the PGA. And the judge made a comment in this little hearing today that, wow, the, the, the antitrust is about a systematic and coordinated effort to bury the lift tour from the PGA. But we could eventually see, and I agree with this comment, an antitrust suit by the PGA to live for their coordinated and strategic effort to bury the PGA. Okay, so let me say that again. The case is an antitrust case against the PGA, saying the PGA is trying to bury live. What ultimately is going to happen is the PGA is going to have to sue live because live is in the process of burying the PGA. They're taking the best players. I know there are holdouts with Rory McIlroy and, of course, Tiger, but this is happening, and we're just ticking off these top names going to the Saudi back tour, including Dustin Johnson, Phil Mickelson, Brooks Kepka, Bryson DeChambeau, and now Cameron Johnson. It's a thing. It's an existential threat. I don't know what the answer is, but I think the answer has to be detente. It has to be. Because the PGA Tour will not die. The PGA Tour will not shrivel away. But it will lose their star appeal as they have been for months now. Again, they'll have a Rory McIlroy. They'll have star players. But at some point, there will be a gravitation of all the stars, not all, but most of them, at some point, because life-changing wealth. I know, I know, <clears throat> you don't do everything for the money. I get it. Excuse me. But there's money, and then there's money. You know what I'm saying? There's money, and then there's money. And when you have the funding resource of a $630 billion public investment fund, what can't you do? 
So they're so they're spending a couple hundred million on Mickelson, a hundred million on Cam, a hundred million on Dustin Johnson, hundred million on DeChambeau, eighty million. I mean, that'll that'll come out to what a billion, <laughs> you know, for all those guys. A billion billion's nothing. What do they think they're budgeting for this live tour if they have six hundred thirty billion under asset in the Saudi public investment fund? Ten billion. You know, they're putting towards this tour. What's the PGA got? Who knows? Nothing like that. Okay. I feel for you. I feel for you, PGA. I worked with Jay Monahan when I started my career. He was our golf guy at ProServe, where I worked for David Falk in basketball and football. He's a good guy. I feel for Jay. I just don't know. I mean, if again, my advice, I've been public. You can't fight it. Because when you fight it, the bigger the bigger checkbook's going to win. Okay, my last comment is going to a sport I'm much more familiar with from my playing days. Um, just an ode to Serena. Serena in Vogue magazine this week saying she's going to sort of evolve away from tennis, which is one way of saying the U.S. Open is going to be her last event uh, in a couple weeks, coming up here soon. And that's poignant because... She started her first major at the U.S. Open, and this this is the number that just floors me. 1999. In 1999, I was an agent. I hadn't worked for the Packers yet. I've been I've left the Packers now 11, 12 years. Okay, so 10 years with the Packers. I've left the Packers 12 years. That's 22 years. Serena won her first major in 1999. She's 123. She's walking away from the game. She's going to, I mean, she'll do whatever she wants. People say, what's she going to do? She'll obviously focus on her family, but investments, vendor capital, her design of whatever she wants. And she, her behavior has not always been great. And I remember, obviously, a lot of people do the incident with the balls, the lines woman at the U.S. Open. Not a good look. And then the incident with the um, the official when she was playing Naomi Osaka. Listen, I just am so impressed. And I'll and whenever if in, if ever there's a Brady retirement, this will be the same speech. Longevity in sports is amazing when you talk about this length. Serena Williams, there's an entire generation that only knows the top player in women's tennis as Serena. Think about that. An entire generation of, of humans can identify that the top player in their watching experience and their fan experience was Serena Williams. It's just amazing that she won her first event in 1999. The, the amount of attention she's had to deal with, the amount of physical stress that she's had to endure. Because again, I'm an athlete in my own mind now in my 60s and to me what really drives i have to sort of get away from the hard hard workouts and really think more about longevity because the key to me is lifespan partly but also health span how healthy i can be in you know late decades in life we don't even need to know what they are but we all have our last decade or decade and a half in life. And I think what scares us all is not being 
mentally or physically fit in those last five, 10, 15 years. Um, and I'm going off on a tangent here because I, I think longevity is so important in all aspects of life. The longevity at the elite professional athlete level is just is so impressive that Serena Williams could do this for 23 years and 23 majors, by the way, that's symmetrical. Uh, just anyway, we can all talk about Serena in a lot of different ways, but my overall impression just boils down to that one word, longevity. Serena Williams has, ex has just exceeded any thoughts that most athletes have of longevity. In the team sports, the players just get, the teams just get rid of you, unless you're Tom Brady or a kicker like Adam Vinatieri. You're never going to make it that long because, you know, teams move on. But think about 23 years, 23 years. We'll see. We'll see if anyone bests that in, uh, in you know, sports at the top, at the very top. And again, Brady's certainly in that category. Vinatieri, of course. Um, you know, the other tennis players, Federer and Dahl, getting there. Federer, I'm a huge fan, of course, as everyone knows. And, uh, you know, again, they deserve the odes and they'll get them when they retire too. But like everyone, just a shout out to Serena for what she's done and the fantastic longevity that she has possessed and graced us all with. Okay, those are my rants. Listen, if you're not getting the newsletter, you better. I get into a lot of stuff. Andrew-Brandt.com and my sports business league is booming. Go to Andrew-Brandt.com slash SBL, Sports Business League, SBL. I do daily videos. We get together weekly. We sit and we chop it up for an hour, two hours sometimes if you're in the sports business league. So again, Andrew-Brandt slash Andrew-Brandt.com slash SBL. Andrew-Brandt.com slash SBL. Look for me everywhere doing my appearances. And, of course, Twitter, Andrew Brandt. Instagram, where I'm doing reels every night on uh, Instagram, Andrew Brandt 2. And, of course, if you like the podcast, give us a good rating. I hope you do. Share it with a friend. Tell your friends about the Business Sports Podcast. Try to be unique, and I do try to bring the unique perspective, insight, and information you don't get elsewhere. Thanks to my producer, Brian Neal, my music producer, Sam Brandt, and thanks to you for listening. I'll be back next week with another edition of The Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt.